This is Subject Matter, the show for creators who want to grow with audio. I'm Ben Bradbury. Every business in the world is a series of repeatable processes. That's one of the first things that our guest today shared. And I think he hit the nail on the head when you're creating content, if you're building out your own media company, no matter really what you're doing, it comes down to the process. What's cool about thinking process first is it gets rid of the goal. Goals are a future state and it's easy to be anxious or caught up in not having reached them, but the process is happening right now. Today's episode is all about operational management. My guest, Tommy Yanoulis, is an expert in creating processes that allow businesses to deliver consistent performance. If you're a creator, you need a process for creating your content. If you're an operator, you need a process for supporting those creators. Uh, If I can have a dollar every time I say process this episode, I think I'd be a pretty rich man. But it really is a very important piece of the equation. And so in this episode, we get all into building a process-driven mindset and then get really tactical in the ways that you can build out a better process for your work, either as a creator or an operator. This is a great conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. Tommy's a great guy. Spent 12 years as a stand-up comic, so it's a pretty funny episode as well. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know what you think, and I'll chat to you soon. All right, Tommy, welcome to Subject Matter. Great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So your core competency is this idea of operations management. So I thought we could start just to make sure everyone's on the same page. Could you go ahead and define operations management? What does that term mean to you? Sure. So like, if you're... Every business in the world is just a series of repeatable processes, right? And those repeatable processes govern every part of your business from, you know, processing an order to opening up a storefront to, you know, fulfilling an order. It doesn't matter what it is. And if you don't have a series of repeatable processes, then you have a business. You just have you doing stuff, right? And so operations management, it's really a series of software platforms that focus on how do we manage our human team more effectively and make sure that we're doing all of those processes that we have identified we need to do to run our business, right? And so that's what it comes down to is, you know, everybody's got systems around the POS and like marketing and ordering and, you know, storefronts and all that stuff. But there's people that have to go do stuff to fulfill those orders, to be ready to take sales, to be ready to process sales and to take care of our customers. And that's what we really focus on is that human element. And we try to turn that human action and activity into measurable data as well. You know, it's very easy to determine like how many clicks someone did on an email that got them to purchase, how many times they hit your web pages, all these different things. But what we're trying to do is take that human activity and turn it into something that's measurable in a database. So if every business is a series of repeatable processes, why do you think a lot of early business operators or creators, why do you think they struggle to see things as a process? Because developing process takes work, right? And then also managing process takes discipline But in addition to that, it's not sexy or fun, right? Like it's not like the most exciting part of your day. It's going through a checklist of, oh, did we do this? Did we do this? Did we do this? And that's not like when you're an entrepreneur or you're, 
you know, a business creator, that's not the fun stuff, right? And, and I, it's funny that we talk about this because I see it all the time, like in the restaurant companies, they're always focusing on sales or new POS or new, some newfangled thing, but nobody's actually paying attention to what makes the business great, which is just being a great operator, right? Like if you think about the restaurants, and I always use restaurants as an example because restaurants are the thing that we can all relate to no matter what business we're in. But you think about the restaurant you go to all the time that's amazing, that's because it's always clean. They're always well-staffed. The food's always good. It's all the things that you attribute to being a great restaurant experience all happening in that like local restaurant you go to that you just love, that you can never get into. And then you go to all the other restaurants that suck and have no, and you have bad experiences at them. And then you go, oh, well, wait a second. If you start really thinking about it, it's all those other little controllable things they're not doing, you know? And so to sum it up, it's not sexy. It's it's actually like tedious. Well, I don't say tedious, but it's like, you know, it just takes discipline. It's boring. It's blocking and tackling. But everybody who ever wins anything blocks and tackles really well. Well, a lot of the people who listen to Subject Matter are content creators or they're helping with content creation. And that's one of the truths about the discipline is that it's a repeatable act. You can't just create content once and then not show up again. You need to create, whether that's on Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, a newsletter, wherever that is, it's this consistent thing. And so really having a, a process-driven mindset is not only the engine of the business, but the other interesting piece of it is, it, I think it helps alleviate a lot of the stress that we potentially place on ourselves as operators. Because if you're just focused on the process, that kind of next step, you're not placing your happiness or not making your happiness dependent on achieving a goal. It's always the thing that's in front of you. And so to me, it actually seems like a more balanced way of operating overall. Well, it's interesting because like I did stand up for a lot of years, like 12 years, I was a professional stand up comedian, like full time, like traveling the country, the whole thing. And like, so I was writing, I was doing stand up, doing some television stuff, whatever. Have you ever heard this saying that um, writer's block is for amateurs, right? When you're a professional performer, a professional content creator, you don't get to have that day where you're just like, eh, I don't feel like doing it. Like you've got to bang out a certain amount of content. You've got to put a certain amount of hours into your jokes and you have to be disciplined enough to do it. Now, when we look at our software, one of the things that we always talk about is how do we take the guesswork out of running the business, right? That's the, what the checklists do. That's what having a system and a process does. It takes the guesswork out of the way and it's like, so you can get past all the procrastination, all the consternation, and you can just flow into your creative flow state and start actually creating things. You know what I mean? Because if you can't do that, then you're never going to get your content done. And with so many of our businesses, content is our marketing, right? We don't have a bunch of guys sitting around in an office dreaming up concepts for advertising. Our concepts are our blogs and our podcasts and our Twitter posts. And so we've got, like, if we're not doing that, then we're not generating content to get out to the world that's actually advertising, right? So it really seems like the through line here is just creating systems that raise the floor 
to making it easier to have a process for consistent output. That's kind of the key of it. So this is obviously your specialty with Ops Analytica. I'm interested, one of the kind of risks I think with building out a system like this is getting too lost in the details. And so for me, like I look at the production control that I have for my operation. We manage some important metrics. We look at podcast episodes we produce. We look at the revenue. We look at the downloads. We look at our team's time. I think it becomes a very slippery slope of having too many details and getting bogged down too much in the weeds. And you've spoken about this before. How do you think that if we are interested in bringing a more process-driven approach to our operation, how can we avoid being too in the weeds with our information and get to that right level of detail? Yeah, absolutely. I think what it comes down to is you have to like back into the process, right? You have to start with the goal. What is the goal? Like, so for checklists, a lot of times what I'm always battling from my clients is they want to put in a 500 question checklist, right? And then they want this to get done between 1130 and 1145 every single day. And you're like, you can't have that, right? Like it doesn't work and you need to have a goal. And then you need to go, okay, the goal of this is, is to run a, have a clean dining room. So then what are the minimal amount of steps that we need to check on so that we can check that off, realizing that the process is not the end product. It's just to facilitate the product. You know what I mean? And so you just don't want to get too bogged down with too many checkoffs. I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. And then you don't end up creating anything. You know, you pick a couple KPIs, you back into it, you say, for this process, I need to make sure we get, these are the big five fail points. Let's just check off those five fail points and move on. I don't need to have a hundred extra pieces of data. Let's just get the five that matter, that drive the performance, and then we can let everything else go. Yeah. You shared this really interesting example with me last time we spoke of creators in who create food recipes conflating the practical information that people come to their blogs to get with their story of, hey, I'm going to Italy and I experienced all this great pasta. Like, frankly, no one gives a shit about the pasta that you ate in Italy. They just want to see the recipe and get to that practical output. And so zeroing in on what that like core source of information is and then discarding the rest. I think is a really good way to look at it. Well, yeah. And I think what happens with a lot of these content providers, especially in the recipe space, like just everybody here has gone, hey, how do I steam artichokes in my Instant Pot? And you just go to the web and search it real quick. And then you end up reading about how in Madrid, they have all these great artichoke markets and you can go and, you know, you're just like, kill me. And you're scrolling for 20 minutes trying to get to the very bottom that says one cup of water, steam it on high for five minutes, right? Yeah. And it's yeah like, okay, thanks. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it just drives you bonkers. And I get what the person's trying to do. They're trying to create a personality. They're trying to get subscribers, right? And that's what everybody else is doing. And they're trying to create room for ad space. All those things I totally understand. But like, I also just want the recipe for artichokes. And I feel like I would actually be more apt to follow somebody who just gave me the recipe at the top of the blog versus making me scroll for an hour on my phone to find it, right? And so you got to know who is your audience and what are you trying to accomplish, I guess, right? But that once again, that's backing into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So if we put the level of detail to one side and we now look at some of the other challenges that people face, 
What do you think gets in the way of great operational management, having that consistent output? I think if we kind of frame the thinking here around media, around content, because that's what a lot of our, our audience is interested in, what do you think gets in the way of running a really great content operation? It's discipline. It's just discipline. It's really hard to merge creative with discipline because they're opposing forces, right? It's hard to be free flowing if you're just so disciplined. And so, but then it's the discipline that allows you to get into that flow state that Tim Ferriss is always talking about, where I can get into my flow state and actually create. But I have to have the discipline. I have to frame the creative process with the discipline processes so that I can free myself to create, right? So I can know that everything else was handled and all those other to-dos are being tracked so that when it's actually time to sit down at the keyboard and start banging something out, that I can actually do that and not get distracted by, did I pay that bill? Because once you go, oh shit, did I pay that bill? And excuse my French, everybody, I apologize. But like, you know, when I go (laughs) and I leave the mode of I'm writing this thing and I go, oh, the bill, I'm now out of the flow state. And I, now I have to grind back into the flow state. And if I'm not disciplined, I'm not going to be able to like even, I'm going to stop what I'm doing to go check that bill and boom, it's gone. We're out of the flow state. And it might take me six hours to get back into it. So it's it, you've got to have the process that frames the creative time frame that you have turning your phone off, turning your email off, turning off push notifications, take your watch off, take everything off and get into the flow state and then create. And then everything else has to happen too because the other problem that creative people face is they never finish anything, right? Creative people suck at finishing. And that's what really makes people, the difference between someone who's successful in the creative space and someone who's not, is just someone who can, can actually create something, you know, and then like, Put it out there and move on. Like I have so many friends that have like a hundred pages of 10 screenplays, but they can never finish a screenplay. You know what I mean? And I got this from stand-up because stand-up, you got to go perform. You better have the time to cover your act. Like you can't rest on, if you have to do 15 minutes and you do 10, you don't get booked again. So it was the stand-up was very much like creative, but you had a commerce around it. And if you screwed up, you blew that opportunity. Totally. The thing I'm really taking from that is the opportunity for creatives to fuse discipline with creativity. And I love this quote that we don't rise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our training. And I'm a pretty easily distracted guy, but I also get a good amount of work done. And it's because I use... Uh, there's an app called Focus, heyfocus.com. And that will mean that for 25 minutes, for 90 minutes, anytime, I can just block all my social medias. I can block messages. I can block Slack. And it means that I don't have to think about the willpower of getting those done. And that to me is really what you're kind of driving at here is that that discipline, it makes it easier to go and do the thing that you need to do to have the output. And then there's systems and processes which will support with that discipline. But fundamentally, having a consistent habit, when I think about our most successful creators, the two that come to mind, both of them block out time on their calendar to write newsletters. 
And I know not to schedule calls during that time because for them, that's one of the most important time slots of their week is having that dedicated writing time. So I think being able to bring the two of those together is is really important. Well, and I think too, I want to just tag on to that because I agree with everything you said. I think in addition to that, being creative is really hard. You know, it's hard to write a joke. It's hard to write a newsletter or a blog or create a podcast. And I think sometimes when you're good at it and you do it a lot, you forget that for some people, that's the equivalent of climbing Everest, right? And if you're blessed enough to be one of those people who can just jump on and start recording something, you know, you don't even realize what kind of freak you really are. But like, so creating that content is super hard. And so you've got to recognize how difficult it is and set yourself up for as much success as possible because, you know, we've all been there where you just, I've written the same blog paragraph 87 times. And then I finally like just clear my brain and like, you know, whatever. And then it like, it will suddenly click, but we all know what it feels like when those gears are grinding and you're, it's not flowing and you're just like, and those are the times when, you know, having that space is imperative because sometimes you get lucky and you just sit down and write three pages and you're done and you walk away, you know, slam your computer on the floor, done, drop the mic, you know, like I'm the best, but that doesn't happen every time. And so you have to recognize how hard this is and set yourself up for success. I love this. And I think this kind of segues really nicely to our next point, which is what the kind of frameworks that we can use in delivering great operational management. So we've talked a bit about discipline. We've talked about the creation of habits. We've talked about raising the floor, making it easier to produce as well, just easier on yourself and and easier on your team. What are the other leverage points and we can take a step back here from just being the creator and kind of looking at things from an operator side as well now. What are the leverage points that operators can concentrate on when you think about effective operational management? Perhaps they're not the person who is doing the creative work, but perhaps they're the person managing the production or working with the creative. How would you be thinking about things from the other side of the table? Yeah, absolutely. Like so when managing a team of creators and trying to make sure that you're not only giving them the space they need to create, but then also at the same time getting the results that you need to you know, run the business, right? So I think with that, that's tricky because you know that's really about being a great people manager. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I always think of like you know, you hear all those stories of like crazy rock bands and the managers, and they're trying to wrangle them all and get them to you know, kind of go do their thing or whatever. And we had a little bit of that because I used to book comedy concerts and some other stuff. I used to actually drive all the comedians to radio. So my job was to book all the radio interviews for all the comedians that would come through Denver. And I mean, I've hung out with everybody that's famous, like Dave Chappelle, Brian Regan, you know, Jamie Foxx. Like I've driven all those guys to radio and got them to these interviews. But that was like the perfect example of like trying to take a creative person who didn't want to go do this radio interview at five in the morning and dragging them to go do the business part of the business. Right. And what I I learned in that experience was you've got to like placate to their ego and placate to the process. But at the same time, you've got deadlines to keep and you've got to like continue. You know, it's like now I know it's really hard, but we got to get in the car and go right now. We're going to be late. You know what I mean? And so it's a lot of, I think like kind of like 
it's babying the creatives, but at the same time holding, it's like raising a, it's like a toddler. I think it's like working with a two-year-old, you know? That's how you have to treat it. You've got to <laughs> placate their ego. You've got to keep them fed, have snacks available. But at the same time, we've got to get to grandma's house, right? So how are we going to get there? Oh, here, you know, and nowadays you just hand them a tablet. But in the back in the day, it was, it was snacks and juice boxes. But that's what it is. It's placating to the ego, but also maintaining a firm hand, discipline and over explaining. Yeah, I think I, I think that's def- it's a fun analogy, and I can see definitely your twelve years as a stand-up comic coming into play. For me, I think it's slightly different, which is the I think maybe the analogy is that two-year-olds, three-year-olds, they just have limitless curiosity, yeah. and I'm always so inspired when I look at a kid and I see that they just see the world through these really shiny eyes. And kids just have so much creative potential. They're brimming with it. And I think if there's anything that a creator can relate to the, with a toddler, it's that. It's the ability to get really curious about their field. And the creators that we see that work the best are the ones that are curious and kind of follow that instinctively. I think the piece that you can really come together and where one plus one really equals three is when an operator can take all the things off the creator's plate that they don't want to deal with. So yeah, like the logistics of getting to grandma's house in this case, right? Like just the time it takes to do all the grunt work, the nitty gritty project management, all the administrative tasks that just stack up without you even thinking about it. And you end up with about 50 things a month that you, you need to do. Being able to take that time back, I think is one of the most valuable things. And now we're at a point where there's companies where that'll work with creators to, to kind of systematically remove that. So to me, that's really what operational management is doing is it's like for operators, it's creating a process by which creators can get back more of their time to be curious and to create content that inspires them and their audience. I think I read something and I totally agree with you, by the way, because there's nothing that sucks you out of making something amazing than like going to the dry cleaner or, you know, like I hate. So here's the thing that I hate the most. I hate uploading podcasts to SoundCloud. It just is the, I like dread doing that. But now I'm finally have like, I have a virtual assistant, right? So I'm now putting a process in place where I'm going to like, you know, get the podcast edited. I'm going to hand it off to her and she's going to go upload it. And it's such a dumb thing. And I don't understand why it drives me absolutely insane, but it does. This is a lot of cut and pasting or something. I don't know. It pisses me off. But that's it. I agree with you completely because that's the value add, right? Like, and I think Perry Marshall, I think I was reading him and he has like ad Google AdWords books or something, but he was like, what is your time actually worth, right? Like, what is your time actually worth? And if you're doing things that you could be paying someone $20 an hour to do, and if you have an amazing piece of content, it could generate $100,000. Why are you wasting a second doing something that costs $20 an hour, you know? And I think that's kind of what you're saying. Like, and with creativity, it is that flow state once again. So it's about getting the best content out, the one that is going to generate 100K, right? So how do you do that? offloading that other stuff is is massively important. And that's why kids get to be creative because they don't have any bills. They just go in the cupboard, there's Cheerios in there and there's TV and, you know, like they don't have any of the stuff that sucks away the joy of life. <laughs> yeah. They just get to hang out and party. True, yeah. They don't have any of the, the overheads, but... Yeah. 
I think it's an important variable to manage. And this gets into one of the, the interesting points you raised last time we spoke, which is the three core concepts that businesses need to keep on top of. They need to keep on top of a clean and inviting space, their execution of their product or service, doing what you're paid to do, and an appropriate speed of service. So can you speak a little bit about why these factors are so important? And just to challenge you, I'd love if you could contextualize this within media and within content. So what does it mean for a media business to keep on top of a clean inviting space, product or service execution, and an appropriate speed of service? So those three concepts, like and I wish I could take credit for writing those, but it's actually a friend of mine from one of my previous companies kind of told me that the other day. So I'll give him credit where credit is due. That's Freddie Jones. He works at Duncan Brands and he's a great dude, but he really like beat that into my head. And it was one of those epiphany moments, right? So everybody who's purchasing something or, or consuming something, because it doesn't necessarily have to be a purchase if you're giving your time and attention, especially in the online content world. You don't have to actually be buying something. Just being on the page and then allowing that ad revenue to come in is your way of purchasing, right? But people want three things above all else. They want a clean and inviting space, right? So if that is a restaurant, you want to go into a clean, not sticky restaurant that looks good and feels like someone cares that you're there. If you're consuming this content on a web page or through a subscription or an app, it's the same thing. You know, you don't want a 1997 web page where you can't figure out what's going on. Like in today's world, you want a beautiful, clean, streamlined experience. You want it to be inviting, you know, the color scheme, the fonts, how easy it is to get to the content you're trying to get to. It's all the same thing, right? And we want that because our time and our money and our attention is valuable to us. And we want you, the person we're about to give that to, to respect that about us and honor that and make it easy to do business with you, right? So that's the first part. The second part is execution, right? It goes back to the recipe thing. We'll use that as an example here. If you give me half a recipe and then I can't finish it, or I got to go buy the recipe after I've already started cooking the damn thing because you had some window pop up that now, like I've been on some websites where you start reading the article and then you get a paragraph in and then all of a sudden it blocks it out and I can't finish it. Like you're destroying my execution, right? You promised me one thing, either implicitly or, you know, you hinted at I was going to get this, right? And then you took it away from me. And I didn't get it. So like if I can't make your podcast play because you're on some stupid podcast channel that I can't actually get the audio from or, you know, I can't watch the video because it's constantly loading or I can't get the recipe or whatever or my Big Mac is wrong, then I didn't get what I came here to get. And so you've now broken the trust with me as the consumer, right? And the last part of that is, the timeliness of it. And timeliness can be different for different interactions. You know, going to a fancy steakhouse, you expect that to be a two to three hour dinner. I expect my egg McMuffin or my Starbucks coffee to be a two minute transaction. And whatever, there's an expected transaction time for everything we do in a media context. How long does this take to download? 
You know, how big is the file size? Will it work on my phone? You know, all those kinds of things. Like that kind of stuff, that timeliness factor, we all have an unwritten expectation of what we think this should take. And so if it doesn't take that, once again, you failed in the transaction. But also, I guess in a lot of these things too, you can mitigate those things through better communication if you know it's going to be a problem, you know, hey, we know on 3G networks, this thing takes a month to download. So you shouldn't download this until you get to a Wi-Fi signal. Or you know how like Mac won't even, or like iOS won't even let you download an update unless you're on Wi-Fi and you have a certain battery level. So building that kind of stuff into those are like mitigating things you can do when you know that you're not going to meet somebody's expectation on clean and inviting execution or speed of service, that's also where over communicating or coming up with other strategies to kind of make it work so that you don't violate those three principles. Because when you violate those three principles, your potential customer walks away with lower customer satisfaction, right? And that's really what it comes down to. That's a, a great way of looking at it. And what I'm really taking from that is that if you feel like you can't meet these demands of a clean and inviting space, executing your product and service well, and having an appropriate speed of service, just being able to over communicate and set expectations actually makes a world of difference. And I think that's right because what you're essentially doing is removing the nasty surprise from the equation. It's the fact that you'll get far down the line, they've paid something for this, they're expecting to get it in X time or with Y amount of quality, and that doesn't happen. If you're able to say, hey, really sorry, for example, to continue your analogy, we're struggling with 3G in this area, we're not gonna be able to deliver this content as quickly as we wanted to, then that at least tells the consumer, okay, these guys have my best interest at heart and we can actually, we can kind of work together to for a constructive solution. So Yeah, and that's where so many businesses fall down and we kind of talked about this in our first interview, but so rarely is the thing that didn't happen correctly so egregious that it, it blew it out of the water and you go, I'll never work with these people again. I'll never do anything. And you'll get online and, and complain. Most of the time, what fails are the little things that weren't, where expectations were not met because we didn't take the time to set the expectation or we dropped the ball on something, right? And so it's usually these death by a thousand cut experiences. It's never you got punched in the face and they broke your phone and, and then they pushed you down. It's always just like, well, I expected that to be better. And then, oh, I expected this to be better. And, oh, my soup was cold. And, oh, the download quality was garbage. And, yeah, and you're just like, and any one of those items would have been fine. You would have blown it off. But when you had 10 or 15 of them, then at a level, you might not even be able to articulate the one thing that was bad. It just was a subpar experience and you won't come back. And you see that a lot, I think, with content and like also online retail with like card abandonment, things like that. Like you start to get into the buying process and it gets too complicated, you know? Like all these comedians just have jokes about, why do you need my phone number when I'm trying to buy something at Walgreens, right? Well, now we'll get into these long, tedious processes where you keep filling out forms and all of a sudden you're like, ah, I'm done, don't care. I don't wanna create an account to get your stupid video. I know it's on YouTube, just let me have the video, you know? And I get what you're trying to do, but I don't want that. You know what I mean? Like, so 
I mean, think about your own life, how much stuff you abandon, especially on the web where there's zero. The problem with the web is you have zero skin in the game. You can abandon anything at any time and it costs nothing. It's not like you drove somewhere and then like you're sitting there in the waiting room and you're like, well, I already drove here. So I guess I'll stay. The web's like click next browser window, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then you're off. Yeah. Our attention spans are way down. And so you have to be a lot more thoughtful with consumers. You got to be quick. Yeah. Well, speaking of speed, that brings us to our third and final segment of today, which is our lightning round. So for the lightning round, Tommy, I'm just going to ask you something and then you can respond with whatever comes to mind first. Quick, short answers, quick questions. You ready? Okay, I don't know if I'm capable of short answers, but <laughs> we'll go for it. We'll see what we can do. All right. Yes. Question one. What's one piece of software or hardware that you can't live without? I'm going to say uh, Note, the Notes app on Apple. Takes notes all the time. Love it. Second question, what is one piece of media that you've consumed recently, which you've loved? I just rewatched Hunters on Prime. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Great show. Third question, one of my favorites. What's the most fun that you have when you work? I love when clients, when I find out how clients are using the platform and I never in my wildest dream ever thought that that's something somebody would do and they're doing it and they love it. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, that shows that you're just driving real impact. And then finally, what's one piece of advice that you would give to a creator starting out today? That perfect is the enemy of getting things done. And that just get it out there and get it to the world and then learn from it and make the next one better. But don't try to make the one you're working on perfect now. Because that's that analysis paralysis and you'll never get anything done. And then you'll run out of runway and you'll have to go get a real job. So just like get stuff out there, start building a channel. It's more. And like, I would just say this too, like it's okay to like flub something in a podcast and be like, ah, and just make a joke about it and move on. Like be authentic and real, you know, like that's a huge part of this because that people, it's very easy to have highly produced content, but people enjoy people who are just like, this is the way I saw it. And I'm, I talk crazy and whatever, you know, so be yourself, let your personality come out and get it done. That would be it. Be authentic, be you, get it done. Love it. That's a great note to end on today. Tommy, if people want to keep up with your journey, where can they follow you online? Uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn. That's really the most, uh, you know, uh, social media that I do. And then obviously they can check us out at opsanalytica.com if they're interested in learning about our platform. And by the way, too, I really invite people to do this. My whole job now is to really talk to people and find out how they might want to interact with our platform. And so I'm looking to get new use cases. I'm looking to have conversations with people about what we do and what they do so I can just learn more about their business. Like that's, that like feeds my soul. So that's what I want to do. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn, friend me, reach out to me and let's have a conversation. I would love to learn what you're going through. Awesome. You heard it here first guys, reach out to Tommy. Tommy, this has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning in. I'd love to hear what you thought of the episode and any ideas you've got for future content. You can email me directly at ben at workweek.com. To keep up to date with the very latest content, make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend who might find it useful? 
I'll see you next time. <laughs>